What's going on, coaches? You are tuned in to Keep Your Pads Down, your home for all things defensive line play. Thank you for checking us out on what is episode number 36. Well, it is officially playoff time for us here in Texas. So, uh, first of all, I want to start off with a, a big shout-out to all of you guys who uh, who qualified for the postseason, uh, especially a big shout-out to um, a coach outside of the state of Texas, but Coach Zach Leonard, who uh, whose program had a big win Friday night, went in the Battle of the Bergs, and, and also uh, our Texas coaches, Coach Aaron Now uh, in the Midway Panthers, Coach Cade Lane in the Cy Woods Wildcats, and finally Coach Jeremy Hickman and the Tyvee Antlers as, as all those guys finish the year as district champions. Of course, also a big shout-out to my guys here at Pleasant Grove. We were actually off this past week. We wrapped up our regular season on November 1st, finished the regular season as district champions as well, uh, which is our program's third consecutive title, district title. And so we're looking forward to the playoffs starting as well. Anyway, congratulations to all those programs who qualified for the playoffs. There is truly nothing like playoff football. And we're actually going to talk more about that at the end of the episode today. Uh, one of the things that I'm going to do now with us being in the playoffs, I think most states uh, are in the playoffs now. Uh, I'm going to close out each of the next several episodes telling a story from my experience uh, in the playoffs. And so hopefully that'll be something you find entertaining. But anyway, uh, we get back to our normal format this week where we bring on a guest to talk some ball. And our, and our guest this week is, is Tyler Junior College defensive line coach, Alex Wiersbicki. Coach Wiz and I connected through a mutual acquaintance and Coach Jonathan Darby, who is our DB's coach here at Pleasant Grove and was a guy we had on a couple weeks ago and did a great job uh, talking some ball here. But anyway, uh, he put me in touch with Coach Wiz, and uh, I really enjoyed talking with Coach Wiz and hearing about, and hear, and hearing about his journey through uh, the coaching ranks. It's always interesting to hear those stories. Um, it seems like, um, you know, there's a common thread throughout all successful coaches that, you know, uh, the grind's the same or every coach has to, to go through some really humble beginnings to get to where they are currently. So uh, if you are a young coach out there grinding and you don't feel like anybody notices you and you don't feel like what you're doing matters, I'm telling you it matters. Because if you go back and listen to any of these episodes, the one thing I think that all these coaches have in common is all of them started with uh, very humble beginnings. Even if they were D1 guys, they started somewhere and they were coaching junior high or they were coaching at a really small school, maybe volunteering, and, and, and Coach Wiz is no different. So I think you're really going to enjoy what he has to say today. So anyway, Coach Wiz grew up in Beaufort, South Carolina and played DN at Beaufort High School before attending Fork Union Military Academy for a year. And then he headed to Savannah State where Coach Wiz played DN for the Tigers. Coach Wiersbicki got his start in coaching at Marietta College in Ohio before landing a GA job at Southwestern Oklahoma State, where he helped guide the Bulldogs to the Live United Bowl in 2015. After his time at Swasu, Coach Wiz moved on to Tyler Junior College in Tyler, Texas, where he currently serves as a defensive line coach and strength and conditioning coordinator for the Apaches. Today, Coach Wiz and I talk pass rush, including his pass rush progression and some of his favorite drills that he uses to coach up pass rush fundamentals. So, with all that being said, let's dive into our conversation with Coach Alex Wiersbicki on episode 36 of KYPD. Coach 
Coach Wiz, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Hey, thank you, Coach Taylor. Appreciate it. Well, well Coach, uh, you are our first JUCO guy on the show. But before we jump into what you got going on over there at TJC, let's let's back up and talk a little bit about your journey through football up to this point. So you grew up in South Carolina, is that correct? Yes, sir. Beaufort, South Carolina. Uh, my dad was in the Marine Corps for 28 years. So I did a lot of my uh, traveling around when I was younger. Um, but spent most of my life in Beaufort, South Carolina. Went to Beaufort High School under Coach Mark Clifford and uh, defensive coordinator Jerry Hatcher. Played defensive end there for uh, all four years. Well, so from there, for, from from high school, uh, what about college ball? Where'd you go from from high school? Uh, I went to Fort Union Military Academy um, up in Virginia as a postgraduate, um, which is a prep school. It's kind of kind of similar to junior college, except for the fact that uh, you don't lose a year of eligibility. Yep. Yep. Um, so I went up there uh, under Coach John Schumann. From there, I went to Savannah State down in Georgia. Okay. Uh, D1AA. Yeah. <clears throat> Played defensive end there as well. Where So was it was it there while, while you were playing high school ball or college ball? How, how did you know that, that you wanted to become a, a football coach? Um, it, it started in college. I was under a good staff my junior year, and they kind of got the bug in my ear. You know, you know I think you'll be a great football coach and this and that, you know, come GA for us or, you know, just kind of prepping me for life after college. And, uh, you know, so I sat down, talk, thought about it, talked about it with my family and all that. And uh, the main reason I wanted to get into coaching because I felt like I could help, you know, some yeah. capacity. Yeah. Um, so that kind of got me into it, kind of got the itch for it. You know, I obviously love watching film and the whole deal and kind of like the atmosphere and being around college football players and, and young young adults you know 18 22 year old kids yeah you know, and yeah being around the game obviously is a is a plus so from from savannah state you you got into coaching uh walk us through the coaching stops that you've made along the way in your career okay uh so like when i graduated college i graduated in the spring of 14 um you know i had the option to whether i wanted a ga at savannah state or you know kind of start you know searching for other jobs you know just kind of branch out a little bit so i did the whole football scoop thing and applied to probably uh 60 jobs you know within six months and uh one i got one phone call from coach andy waddle at marietta college um up in ohio southeast ohio and he actually called me it's kind of weird because uh the i didn't know it at the time it just said you know uh intern position at marietta college so i applied to it because i wanted to get into coaching and um, it's kind of interesting because it wasn't a defensive line coach. You know, it wasn't a defensive line job or linebackers or anything like that. It was, it was actually a DB job. Yeah. I haven't played DB in my life. <laughs> All right. So what you said was, well, kind of weird because I just hired a DB guy. It was a DB job. Maybe we didn't make it clear. But are you interested in coaching? And I said, yes, sir, I am. Uh, you know, right now I have no job. I'm working at Avis Car Rentals here in Savannah, and I'm ready to get out. So I actually took – a volunteer position at Marietta College, wow. uh, a Division three program. <clears throat> yes, sir. And then uh, worked there for for the first semester, and uh, you know worked uh, odd jobs and all that. And uh, then coach assisted with defensive line, coached defensive line, had the defensive ends. Um, so we had kind of split it. Me and this other guy. Come the spring semester, we had some staff changes, and I uh, actually went to 
coach the tight ends uh, through the spring semester. But I was only at Marietta for about a year um, until I got a phone call from Brett Watson, um, who was at West Texas A&M at the time. Oh, yeah, he's been on the show before. Yeah, uh, good dude. think highly of Brett. But uh, So I was interviewing for a graduate assistant position with Brett and then uh, ended up, you know, things didn't go the way we uh, I planned. Made the connection through Brett, which in turn, two weeks later, Southwestern Oklahoma State needed a GA. So he made the phone call for me at Swasu. That's where I linked up with Darby. Yeah. Um, at Swasu. So within two weeks of not getting one and then to land in another one with Swasu, you know, everything kind of worked out. And that's kind of all thanks, thanks to Coach Waddle for actually bringing me up and trusting me in as a volunteer, you know, so. Yeah. Pretty pretty grateful for that, for sure. So I sued, I was at, there for two years, and I got my master's in sports management. Graduated in December of 16. And then from Swasu, or from Swasu, I got down to TJC in 2017 of the spring. Been here for three years. Okay. Well, Coach, I want to back up really quick and talk about uh, just your first job out of college. And, um, you know, I think we've all, uh, if, if you're a coach listening to this, we've all done the football scoop thing. Um, you know, live on football scoop from oh, yeah. uh, the moment our season ends until uh, the moment either uh, summer comes and it's clear we're not going anywhere or until we get a job. From from It, it sounds like you weren't afraid of going somewhere random and somewhere where you were just going to, you know, be the low man on the totem pole and, and really have to just bust it and grind because uh, you took a volunteer position coaching a position that, that you didn't even play. So just talk about your, your thinking behind that and why you weren't afraid to do something like that. Uh, well, I think it kind of just stemmed from my family. Um, for one, I had unbelievable support um, who was all for it, you know. And um, the, from my standpoint, obviously I wanted to get my feet wet somewhere where I didn't play, somewhere where I wasn't comfortable. Um you know, and I wanted to be in a uh, a different environment um, than what I was used to, essentially. And uh, being able to jump up to Marriott, Ohio, I actually had family in Ohio. Um, my dad's from Ohio, so they were two hours away. And then, uh, obviously, the rest of my family is still in South Carolina. Um, but with their support going up there and then me wanting to get my feet wet um, at, Marriott, at Marriott College has taught me ton of things that I haven't, you know, that I definitely needed, you know, from the division three standpoint where you don't have any scholarships, you know, you, you do everything, uh, with the kids, uh, weight room, financial aid, academics, you know, you got your hand in all of these different hats that it helped me learn equipment, you know, just any, any, any job that was going to be good for me to actually work from Marietta college and learn from it yeah you know, and to be yeah. able to better myself yeah well here's a little bit here's a little bit of a curveball here you know you talk about working you know and doing a bunch of just different jobs and wearing a bunch of different hats uh and you also mentioned darby uh who was on a couple weeks ago and he's our connection uh and, and he told a story about being a ga at swasu and having to uh you know, carry the meat back and forth at the Swasu Rodeo. So uh, what's the most random job you've had to do as a as a coach or a GA in your career? Oh, man. Uh, you know, it's going to be at Swasu. 
<laughs> uh, well, I got I got two. I got one at Marietta. Um, and then at Marietta, I'll start with Marietta. At Marietta, so as I was a volunteer, I needed to find some some extra ways to make some money. Yeah. Know, a little bit of cash that I could. And uh, so I actually recycled the entire campus. It was like an actual job through the school. So I would, I would wake up at whatever, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning and uh, go recycle all the dorms, all the athletic facilities, you know, stack it up, get ready for pickup, things like that. So that was probably the most uh, kind of, I guess, humbling job. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, for sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's definitely uh, something that helped me kind of move forward, you know, yeah. in my career. And then at Swasu, I think, I think it was, we had, we had this big uh, auction. It was either an auction or, yeah, it was an auction. And uh, we had all different types of jobs. One was a bartender. And then uh, another one was actually where we had to boil hot dogs. And I'm having to go back to the cafeteria to get boiling water hot water and bring it back to where we were actually had these hot that was up the hill <laughs> so i did i did that all night all night long with the uh actually the assistant ad todd helm so he was he was in it with me yeah wow wow yeah yeah i, I think most coaches can relate to uh whether you're on the high school or, or collegiate level uh you know we've all had those jobs or those those um those assignments that aren't don't really have anything to do with with coaching football or kids or anything like that. It's sure. just kind of uh, one of those things that comes with the job, and you do to uh, you do it to to uh, impress those above you, and just because it's one of those things that it needs to get done. So I think we can all relate to that. Absolutely. So let, let's Absolutely. go looking back on your career to, at, up up to this point. What are some highlights from the places uh, that you've been so far? At Swasu, you know, uh, I think the biggest highlight as a team. Uh, you know, and we went to uh, the Live United Bowl. Yeah, right here in Texarkana. Um, that, right there in Texarkana. Um, now that was a pretty awesome experience and uh, eye-opening experience. Uh, it was great to, that we were actually able to travel our entire team, not just a travel squad. Um, you know, and, and all the events that they put on, and then obviously game game time. You know, which was uh, which is an awesome experience. Great crowd, which we actually played. Uh, the in-state that used to be the in-state rival yeah. of central Oklahoma, uh -huh. you know, so that was pretty, pretty cool. Even though we went all the way down to Texas, Canada to play it, you know, it was, it was still, uh, still, uh, a good deal for the state of Oklahoma, you know, and all the division two schools and division two rivalries we yeah. have over there. And a couple all conference players, uh, you know, especially up in Oklahoma. Uh, one, one in particular was TJ Harris, um, who's still, trying out for Canadian league and, and trying to bounce around a little bit in the Canadian league. Um, and then down here at TJC, you know, definitely got good thing rolling um, here, you know, with the, the amount of guys and the amount of talent that we, we keep continuously pumping out, which is, which is awesome to kind of experience. We're, we're talking uh, as we, as we switch gears here and, and jump into some football stuff, we're talking pass rush today. And yes, so sir. begin by telling us your philosophy with coaching pass rush. Like, how did you arrive at that philosophy? Who are some coaches or programs that you have borrowed from when it came to developing that philosophy? Okay. Um, yeah, so my, my philosophy is uh, pretty simple. I mean, obviously, you ultimately want to win your one-on-one -on -one battle, whatever it is, in pass rush. Um, so what I, what I always say is an effective rush is a good rush. All right? It doesn't necessarily have to result in a sack. Um, 
but effective rush is a good rush, you know, whether it's putting an offensive lineman in an uncomfortable position, you know, whether you're closing space with speed, went to his hip, get him doing something that he is not comfortable doing at all. You know, whether it's opening up his shoulders, getting vertical shoulders or lunging, disrupting the timing of the quarterback, you know, which forcing the step ups, change his arm angle, then obviously finish with violently and relentlessly to the quarterback. Um, and some, some of the guys that I've, I've got that from and kind of built it off of was uh, my defensive line coach from college, uh, Jonas Jackson, who's now at uh, Albany State, and then um, Brett Watson. Um, always bounce ideas off of him, and, and uh, you know, he's always receptive and, and uh, you know, taught me, taught me a bunch of, bunch of things, you know. Yeah. Kind of put into it. Yes, sir. So walk us through your your pass rush progression, like how you're coaching that, you know, from the ground up. You get these guys coming into your program. How are you teaching that, your pass rush progression? Okay, sure, yep. It it all starts with the stance. Uh, You know, we're just talking pass rush stance. Uh, Obviously, I change it up, you know, whether it's, you know, down in distance or a passing situation, you know, you're going to be in this pass rush stance. Um, It's almost like a, um, a sprinter stance. It's almost like a sprinter stance. What I teach first is uh, I want to take your inside foot to uh, inside toe to the instep of your outside foot. Um, so toe to instep relationship, and then your your base is going to be uh, slightly inside of your shoulder, so you have a more narrow base, so you can explode as if you're exploding off the blocks if you're a sprinter. Yep. <clears throat> um, and then when, when you get down into your stance, you want your down hand slightly inside of your big toe. So that would be your back foot. So if I'm in a right-handed stance, we always talk about man-hand stance down, especially five technique, three technique. Uh, my right hand, my right hand is going to be down inside of my, right inside of my big toe. Yeah. Um, because a lot of times, you, you know, especially with some younger guys, you know, they might have their stance, you know, their hand right down the middle of their stance. You know, and a, and a lot of times it's just natural. If they're not exploding out of their hips, it's natural for your, your foot to replace your hand. Yep. Uh, if that makes sense. And when you do that, if your hand is down the middle of your stance, well, you're always going to step over yourself and you'll never be an effective pass rusher. Right. But if they're used to, and their, their body is used to, okay, my foot has to replace my hand. Well, make sure your hand placement on the ground is where you want it to be. Um, and, you know, if they're if they're just used to do, doing that, whether it's from high school or whatever other school they were at, or whoever is teaching them that, then you know we're going to roll with it. But this is where your hand needs to be if you're going to roll with it. If not, we're exploding out of our hips all day because your feet are going to follow. Moving forward from that, uh, you know, you want about seventy percent, seventy seventy five percent of your weight on your hand, butt up. Um, you know, so all your momentum's going forward um, versus having to pop up out of your stance, but you're going to go from low to high uh, out of your out of your rush have good knee drive uh, as you explode out of your stance and so from stance we uh we we move into um keys attack finish how how are you coaching those things so i start off with uh pre-snap keys number one pre-snap key is going to be down in distance uh when we're when we're talking pass rush um understand understand where the sticks are um and then Another pre-snap key is going to be the backfield. You know, based off of film study, um, what we've seen, you know, all week, um, where's the protection going to be? 
you know, some teams slide away from the back. Some teams slide to the back. Um, sometimes the teams, they go full slide, they bring that back all the way across, or they're going to keep them on the same side to set the edge. Uh, you know, so just kind of understanding, understanding what you have before the ball snapped, you know, giving them valuable information that they will be successful using. Um, that's, that's the key. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to overcoach it. You don't want to overteach it. You just want to say, okay, here's, here's what we've seen. And based off of this, this is what's going to happen. And then boom, be done with it. That way they can just, before they get down their stance, okay, there's the back coach said they're, they're going to half slide away from the back, you know, 70% yeah. of the time, whatever yep. it is. And then they, they'd be able to have some understanding of what they may get if they get half slide to them or, or away from how can I react to it? How can I, uh, how can I win? Uh, essentially, you know, and it all, it all varies. Obviously right now we're, we're a three, four. Um, so pass protection is, uh, very different, uh, than, you know, than them, them protecting a four man front. Right. You know, just trying to identify it, you know, so that's, that even gets a little more complex. It's like, okay, you know, now you really got to dig down deep. How can I attack that, that protection and where can I hide the twist or where can I hide the fourth rusher or, you know, a whole bunch of other things get into it. Then the O-line stance and communication, you know, and a lot of times you won't know this until second, third quarter, you know, all right, is the O-line stance getting more lazy? Uh, is their communication staying the same? And are you getting the same thing off of that communication? You know, so I always try to have them come, come back with valuable information from the field as well. All right. What are you, what are you hearing when on third and, you know, on that third down, what'd you hear? What'd you hear? You know, come back, uh, Ricky, Ricky, Ricky. All right. Whether they slide right or, or, or what is it? You know, just trying to pick up little things because they already have the, uh, they already have the advantage offensively. Right. You know, we got to be able to pick it. So, uh, those are, those are some pre-snap, pre-snap keys. Um, that I always look for and uh, preach day in and day out with our guys. Uh, the post post snap keys, um, you know, obviously everybody says key the ball, key the ball, key the ball. Um, you know, some guys are different. Um, you got to be able to find out how how can how can they react the fastest off the ball because obviously it's all ball get off when you talk about pass rush. Um, so some guys, first thing I'll teach is key the near knee of the offensive lineman. Key the, key the knee, near knee, uh, especially if you're in a uh, three-point stance. Um, there's been times where we've always been in two-point stance with defensive ends, but interior defensive linemen are always in the three-point stance. Um, but key, the, key the near knee um, because that's the first thing that's going to move. It's going to tell you which way he's going. Is he coming at you? Is he pass that? He's going to pass that with that near knee, kick, kick slide with that near knee first. Um, is he blocking down? You know, the, be able to react off of your keys a lot quicker. Um, then obviously the ball, key the ball. Um, if if the near knee is just not not it for you, um, and then two point stance. I always tell guys to key the tip of the shoulder pad, um, key the tip of the shoulder pad post snap. You know as you kick sliding, um, and then when you when you key the tip of the shoulder pad, uh, especially even coming out of your three point stance, you key the tip of your shoulder pad. Now you're going to say, okay, is this pad going to be vertical or are they horizontal? Yeah. Um, you know, post snap and, you know, vertical. I, I've watched a lot of P. Jenkins stuff and, you know, videos of it, you know, and that's mainly who I learned it from and just try to elevate that thinking is uh, with the vertical pads. Obviously, you know, that's when you can open up your counter. That's when you can use your counter. 
right uh, horizontal pads well i always teach you okay when you, when you have horizontal pads by an offensive lineman going sideline to sideline it's going to make it a lot more um easier and more effective to finesse outside and win outside yep um because if not you try to cross his face right now he's just going to play basketball he's just playing basketball defense right now yep. he's going to slide left slide right whichever way you go um and, and that's really hard for an interior defensive lineman too to to grasp because they're like oh no he jumps at me no he, he didn't jump at you he just stayed square you know right you'll, you'll know when he jumps at you, you right know? you'll know when he jumps at you he's, go- he's coming hard and aggressive yep you know so that's um that, that those are the biggest things because they have to understand the offensive lineman's pad level or the pad direction rather, so they can effectively use a pass rush. You know, I um that that's something that that we also teach. And you're talking about Pete Jenkins stuff, and and I, that's exactly where I got it from. Was was watching probably some of the same drill tapes that you watched uh, yeah. with the with the the vertical and horizontal set. And and I think once those guys understand that then it makes it a lot easier for them to decide what kind of rush that they're going to use. And a lot Absolutely. of times, you know, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned preparing and, and watching teams on film in the week leading up to, to your game. You, you already kind of know what, what, what kind of set that offensive lineman usually gives you, you know, whether it be horizontal or vertical. And so you kind of have a, you, you can go into the game with a plan of how you're going to attack and when you can use your counters and when you can't, just based on knowing that information, like you talked about, a horizontal and, and vertical pads. Yep, exactly right. Exactly right. And I uh and once once they once they figure it out, it's like, you know, it's like gold to them. They're just like, you know, they want more. They right. want more because once they find out that they're successful at it, you don't need all these uh pass rush moves, you know. You just find one that's effective versus this set. Find one effective that's versus this set. Now what you do is you find the counter off of that. Right. And then you stick with it, you know, because you just – that's the biggest thing. You just got to stay patient and understand, okay, maybe he didn't give me vertical, vertical pads this time, but if I keep rushing with speed, he's going to get fed up Yeah. at some point. And he's going to yeah. try to get aggressive. And he's going to try to chase you. He's going to open up, and then boom, there it is. Yeah. You know, so that's the biggest thing um, for sure. But uh, as far as attack too, Coach, is uh, – you know, I always say plan A, plan B. You know, we're talking about, you know, countering already, you know, plan A. My plan A, whether whether you're a five technique or a three technique or two eyes, your plan A is to race to that spot. You want to win with speed. Race to that spot. It doesn't matter if you're a three technique or a two eye. You rush to that spot. You want to get him off of that spot. Get him out of his comfort zone. That's where your plan B comes comes into play because it might not work. Plan A, right? Might not work to where I can win half a man. But plan B, what's my what's my counter going to be? If I'm working with speed to power with the long line, well, where's his hand placement? Now is his hand placement high or is his hand placement low? You always want to keep keep high hands high and low hands low. Yep. And um and effectively work that rush on the half a man. Um, but never be satisfied with just plan A because plan A don't always work uh, in pass rush. That's exactly that's right. That's where you got to be relentless and and have an understanding. That's why down and distance is a big thing. And I, every time they come off the sideline, coach, all right, what are you getting? What are you getting? So I try to give him some valuable information. All right, keep working that speed, but he's going to open up now. You're going to work that long arm to the inside breastplate and uh, work your club by yeah. underneath. Yeah. You know. 
just little little things like that. It's like you said, valuable information. Yeah. You know. Coach Wiz, clarify what you mean when you say race to that spot. Uh, for, for, for coaches who may be unsure what that means, t- talk to us about what, what you mean by when you're telling your defensive lineman to, to race that offensive lineman to that spot. Okay, yeah. Uh, so racing to the spot, I always say that there's an imaginary spot right outside the, the outside foot of the offensive lineman. Uh, for a defensive end, it's, it's probably going to be about four yards, four yards deep. Um, because the offensive tackle has a little bit more time. Yep. Um, in that in that regard, so it's going to be about four yards deep. Interior offensive lineman is going to be about two yards. But the objective of that defensive lineman, whether it's interior or exterior, is to get him off of that spot. And I've always learned it like it's a railroad track. Yeah. You're 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 lined up on a railroad track. He's on track too. He's got his landmarks. He's got his spot. But you want to derail that train. What I mean by derail that train is if you put him, like we said earlier, if you put him in an uncomfortable position by rushing with speed and racing to that imaginary spot on the ground uh, four yards deep or two yards deep, then eventually you're going to get that guy to start drifting off of that spot. Yep. And once you do, you're going to have him where you want him. Um, you know, so that's the biggest thing, just being patient and trusting, you know, the uh, just trusting what you have and what you're giving them. Yes. Yeah more so a, a chess game at the end of the day. Exactly. And, and that's something that, I, you know, I like doing that with, with young kids. You know, I'm coaching uh, anywhere from seventh grade kids to, to ninth grade kids, but especially young pass rushers. You know, maybe you don't have a whole lot of time to teach them a specific pass rush move, but if you can boil it down and say, okay, here's your spot, like you just said, you know, for, for defensive ends, it's four yards outside of that or behind that tackle's outside foot. So, as, you know, I like, I like having my young guys, like, if you can just beat them to that spot, and keep on going, you know. Like, if, I mean, if you if you beat him, it's easy. Just keep on rushing. Then, if he beats sure. you to that spot, now you can counter inside. And exactly. And I think just armed with that information, that kind of gives young guys at least an idea of what they're trying to do, and that keeps them from popping up and just watching and dropping into coverage sometimes. You know, like you get your oh, kids yeah. doing. And so that at least gives them okay. I, I all right, I'm rushing to that spot, and if he beats me, if he crosses that line, like you said, if he gets off his track. Uh, and oversets me now and go inside, or I just keep on going. I just run the hoop now and 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 apply the pressure. Exactly, exactly right. Yes, sir. Well, uh, so as we're we're talking now, you know, we talked about some moves and different things, and you referenced some, and we're going to get back into those here in a second. But talk about, and this is sort of a a, 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 a an aspect of pass rush that can be uh, forgotten about sometimes. But talk about how you coach the finish. So, like, I've beaten the offensive lineman, or I'm in the process of beating him, and now how 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 do you coach up the finish to where uh, I, I'm actually you know beating an offensive lineman and getting the sack, or I'm 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 you know hitting the quarterback's arm, or I'm batting the ball down? How do you coach the finish of the pass rush? Um, well, it, it all to me it, it all starts with the mindset. You know, uh, you know, and sometimes, sometimes the kid has it, sometimes he doesn't. Um, but it does start with a mindset that once you win, your job's not over. Yeah. You know, so I, I incorporate in every pass rush drill that I do, I, I incorporate some type of, you know, whether it's myself, you know, having a ball uh, as the quarterback at the launch launch point, or another bag with a crash pad. You know, so they can tackle and land on in and the whole deal. But yeah, the uh, so the the way I would work it is, 
you know, whatever, whatever pasture rust drill it could be, it could be the hoop. Um, you could be on, you know, working your pop-ups, you know, working your move through the pop-ups, working your hips through the pop-ups and then finishing off that last bag, which is always a good one, finish tight off the last bag and you need to burst, accelerate through, uh, the target, whether it's myself or, uh, a bag with the crash pad and always have a ball. Okay. So when, when we finish, I always say outside arm hack, outside arm hack. And what that means is with my outside arm, I'm hacking at that ball. I'm going to secure the tackle with my inside arm. Yeah. But I'm going to hack the outside with my outside arm, outside arm hack. Yeah. I like you that. You know, always try to rake that ball out. Cause you gotta, you gotta, you gotta work and you gotta rep that, you know, have that mentality that I want that ball back. Yeah. And we're going to get the ball back when, when we get back there. Yeah. Um, you know, our job's never over. You know, that's the, that's the kind of mentality and the mindset that you want your kids to have. Right. Right. Yeah. Because we've all seen that where there's guys execute a great rush and they're there with the quarterback dead in their sights. And then it's like, they don't, they, they're surprised, right? They don't really know what mm-hmm. to do next. You know, it's like the dog that chases the car. What's it finally going to do when it catches one? So I think it's important that we coach the finish. Otherwise we can't really expect to get mad at our kids when, uh, you know, when they when they fall off a sack or they don't rake the ball out, like you said, you know, that's definitely a, an aspect of pass rush that we got to coach up. Absolutely, and you know, and that, that's that's it gets frustrating, you know, because obviously you you want the sack for the kid, and you know, you have them feeling good about himself. But at the end of the day, if you don't work it, you can't. You're exactly right. You can't get upset. Yeah, that he didn't finish the sack. You know, right? That's that's, that's a bad feeling. Yeah, you know, it's terrible. The kid feels terrible. You feel terrible, and you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's what you do in practice and, and how you teach it. Right. So you mentioned some drills uh, just a second ago that, that you work with your guys. So go into some detail about what what, what some drills are that, that you use to help develop your your guys as pass rushers. <clears throat> okay, um, sure. You know, I, everybody uses pop ups, and I, I I use pop ups quite a bit. Um, but for me, when I use pop up pop-ups it's uh it's more so to kind of work on their footwork and their hips um you know not necessarily working a move on the pop-up so like the first thing i would do uh, i call it tight bags um where you got you got the bags really tight i mean it's probably about a yard apart Mm -hmm. um no contact with the bags whatsoever um you know you start them back a little bit you start them in three-point stance the whole deal you work your get off boom you accelerate to the first back then I always talk about high active hands, high active hands. Um, never want your hands low in pass rush, um, even when you're working, you know, just hip hip mobility stuff and and uh, things like that. So they'll go they'll go through the bag, however many bags you have, and um, you know, alternate each way, right, left, right, left, right, left, and then finish tight and burst off the last bag. Mm-hmm. Finish tight and f- burst off the last bag, and then they'll go through that for about three or four reps. Then I'll widen the bags out. And I'll, I'll just call it big bags. You know, we got them separated apart. And um, this is where this is where I incorporate the finish drill with the with the bag or or, or the quarterback or whatever you might have. And uh, we alternate same thing. Um, and then what I incorporate there to start off, still backed up off the ball, and you're working your get off off the line of scrimmage, um, off the ball or whatever you have to um, keep movement. Accelerate to the first bag. Then you're just gonna work your club rip, club rip. As violent as you throw that club, the more the more your hips are gonna open up. You know, and that's that's to me that's key in pass rush is being able to open up your hips, because um, that just creates natural separation. 
Yep. Um, then I always, always incorporate the jab. Um, I call it jab Olay or Bob Swat. You know, several other people call it different things. Um, but I always teach, you know, if you want to have be an effective rusher with the Bob Swat or some type of finesse move, you started on stationary things and you really want to sell it. If you sell it, the offensive lineman will buy it. But right. you, you have to be a good salesperson. Yeah. You know, so uh, I always work the, the jab Olay um, or jab club rip, uh, alternate right, left, right, left, finish again off that tight bag with a violent rip and a burst. If they don't burst, they're going back. Yeah. We're going, we're going, we're going to go. And, and I don't, I don't just send 15 guys one by, you know, through the bag. You know, I, I let one guy get his rep, you know, so I can see, cause I want to see that burst. Cause now he, he's going back. Yeah. Again, Cause if you don't burst, that's, I don't care what you did before. Like it might be pretty, you might've done the best move ever, but if you don't burst, you'll never get the sack. Right. You know, and, that, right. and that's, that's really important to me. Um, you know, and, and at the end of the day, it becomes really important to them, you know, because they, everybody wants that sack. Everybody wants to get stats and things like that. Well, this is, this is how you're going to do it. Yeah. You know, and they, uh, and they, they buy into it. Um, Really well. And then another drill that I use with the pop-ups coaches, I call it the box drill. Uh, the box drill, I just put four four pop-ups uh, in a box. Uh, so you got four corners. You start at one corner, and you're going all the way around, and then I move the crash pad to the inside inside of the box. Yep. All right, so when you do that, so I'm working this box drill. Now on the last bag, this is going to be your counter. I want to see you work your counter um, inside, whether it's the spin inside or – you know, the, uh, the club swipe inside. Um, but you're going to finish your counter on that last bag to where now we're saying, okay, maybe the quarterback stepped up. Just trying to simulate a different yes. different uh, type of, you know, realistic drill um, that you're going to see. Because yeah. those quarterbacks are going to step up. You're going to need to counter. you got to counter at the quarterback's level. Um, you know, and then again, finishing on a target. Um, you know, an outside arm hack, you know, or alligator roll or whatever kind of tackling you want to incorporate into that drill is great. Because, uh, again, all it's teaching is how to finish. Yes. You know, everything, everything you do is finish. Yeah, and I like that because I've seen the box drill before, and I, but I haven't seen it with the crash pad at the end where, you know, they can work that counter and then, and then, like you said, we're coaching up that burst. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? I mean, if the, everything else can look great and you can execute it perfectly, but if you don't burst at the, the, at the end, then you're not you're not getting a sack. You're not affecting the quarterback, which is the whole point. So I like that. I like that touch. That's a good detail to add there with the crash pad, so those guys can lay out and not worry about getting themselves hurt. Yes, sir. Exactly. Uh, another drill. You know, we, we're talking about rush the spot. So I, I I have a drill for that. It's real simple. Uh, you know, normally. I'm the offensive lineman, uh-huh. um, and uh, I have a cone four yards or two yards, you know, outside of my back foot, and um, and that's their that's their landmark, you know. So I always I, I don't throw any hands, I don't try to block them, I just move, you know, whether it's a pass set real quick, and they have to react off of me and get to that spot as soon as possible, and then finish with their toes pointing back to a target. Um, you know, again, that target could be the crash pad or, or, or whatever it is, but we're just working speed and finish, speed and finish, speed and finish, um, you know, because I think that's that's the biggest thing. I mean, you know, also your toes have to be pointed in the right direction, especially in your stance. Right. You know, wherever, wherever your toes are pointed, your body's probably going to follow them until you're like, oh, wait, this ain't, 
this ain't working, you know. Um, you know, so that's that's uh, kind of day one stuff, but it's important because you, you get some 18, 19-year-old kids, you know, at our level or any level. It's just, you know, when they get in their stance and they don't know how their body functions and where their toes are supposed to be pointing, you know, is my body going to fall on my toes? And, you know, you actually got to rep that. So that's just right. That's just an easy drill. And then tag get-offs as well, where I'll, what I call tag get-offs is you got two bodies, you know, two partners. And uh, one's an offensive lineman, one's a defensive lineman, and you're trying to race to the hip of that offensive lineman. And the offensive lineman's probably backed up about three yards from the line of scrimmage. And the defensive lineman is a full-out race to win to his hip, finish with the club and finish tight uh, to his backside. And again, burst to another target or, or, or whatever you have for him. Um, you know, that's another way. I know we mentioned talking about racing to the spot. Um, tag get offs is a really good one because the kids have fun with it because one's an offensive lineman and he's like, I can kick slash faster than you can run, you know, whatever it is. Right. You just kind of right. challenge him, you know, and uh, they get after it. Yeah. It's, it's fun to watch. Yeah. Sure. Those are some great drills, Coach. And, and like you said, you mentioned them being simple, and there's <clears> nothing <throat> wrong with a drill being simple. In fact, typically the simpler the drill, the better, because, you know, it's easier to recreate that. You know, a lot of the times if we, we have these uh, elaborate, in, intricate drills, okay, that's cool, but then, you know, that's probably not something you're going to be able to do every day. You're going to be able to do very often right. because you take so much time setting it up and explaining it. But those simple drills where you just say, hey, guys, let's go rush the spot drill. Boom, they're, 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 they know what's going on. They line up and they're ready to go. Or tag, get off. So let's go. And there's not any explanation. They know what's going on. They line up and they run it. And they're working those fundamentals that are essential to being an effective pass rusher. So we talked about coaching up the burst there at the end of your pass rush, and and I would I would say that's probably an undercoached aspect of pass rush. In your opinion, what is another maybe undercoached aspect of, of pass rush that sometimes gets overlooked? Um, I would say eye control, eye control, and toes. Eye control and your toes as a pass rusher. Um, for one, you know. Uh, Eye control is uh, extremely important because um, you got to be able to see what you hit, for one. You can't have crazy eyes. A lot of times, you know, uh, guys will always want to peek in the backfield and see where that quarterback is. Well, you should know where the quarterback is. You know, the launch point's going to be, you know, five to seven yards or whatever you tell them that week. Um, so your, your, your main objective is understanding what this offensive lineman's going to do, you know, and you got to be disciplined with it because you got to trust your eyes. Um, you know, and that's whenever he shoots his hands, I got to be able to react and aim small to miss small. If I aim small to miss small, you know, we're talking about breaking points when he shoots his hands. If I'm going to work a, a, a Bob Swat or, a, you know, a swipe uh, to the outside. Yeah. You know, I got to I gotta understand where the breaking points are and breaking points are uh, his wrist and his elbow. You know, that's another thing, you know, with the. With the pop-ups, it's like, okay, you can work this club rip on the pop-up all day. But now that's simulating to me. It's like I'm simulating clubbing the shoulder pad of an offensive lineman. Um, you know, that's why I like to work partner drills when it comes to pass rush because you got to have that, that eye control on that offensive lineman and on your target to aim small to miss small. Because if yep. you club a shoulder pad, which is a pretty big target, that offensive lineman is not going to move anywhere. Right. You're just, all you're doing is clubbing the shoulder pad of – of an offensive lineman, so you want to be able to swipe and club, wrists and elbows and control that all at the same time. Yep. 
you know, so it, it definitely takes eye discipline and having eye control. And then as we were talking about bursting and finishing, um, you want you want to talk about the toes because it's an uncomfortable position because you're running straight. You know, you're, you're rushing a half a man, you're getting vertical on the guy. Then when you finish and, and execute your move, whatever it is, pull slide or, or long arm or whatever, when, when it's time to escape from that blocker, you got to have your toes in a, in, a, in a way that you're not used to being, which is going to require a lot of uh, ankle flexion and, and uh, body control. You know, because you're coming from an awkward position, your hips are open. And now you got to be able to lean and, and get back on the path to where the quarterback is. Because if not, then your, your toes are pointing straight ahead as you escape from a pass or from a block, whether it's run block or or a pass set. And your toes are pointing straight ahead. You're going to run right past the quarterback, run right past the ball carrier. He's going to step up, scramble for 40 yards, and and then uh, you know that's going to be the end result. Yeah. You know, so I think toes, toes and eye control is the most undercoached aspect um, in pass rush. Yeah, that's a great point, Coach. You know, I've, I've um, heard guys talk about eyes before, and, and that's definitely uh, – I think it's something we all know, we understand, but how much do we actually coach it, right? I mean, it's uh, sure. it's um, sometimes gets overlooked – you know, how important eye discipline is, but one that I haven't heard much of is is toes, and that's 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 a great point. You know, hips and toes, those things kind of mirror each other. But you know, ultimately, those DNs or those 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 interior guys, they're going to wind up where their where their toes are pointing. And if yes. they're like you said, their their toes are pointed straight up field, they're not going to get a sack. They're they're going to blow past the quarterback, and he's going to be able to step up. So that's a that's a great point uh, about coaching and paying attention to where our guys' toes are pointed. So I'm curious. You mentioned being in a, that you, that y'all are in a three-four over there at TJC. Uh, so how much do you rely on line twists and movements to generate pressure? Um, I think for us it, it varies uh, game to game. Um, you know, some some games uh, we might feel confident with our three. Right. You know, um, some games we're like, okay, can we? You know, my my one of my responsibilities is you know on Monday we we. We break down film. We watch film on our own, and, and my my main thing is okay. How can we attack these guys with pass rush this week? And you know that's that's the cool thing about the three four defense is that you can you can get you can get pretty pretty exotic with it, you know, and and, and come up with some new stuff uh, week in and week out, um, you know. So and I think along with that is okay. You know, who do you have? You know, do you have guys who are effective pass rushers or do you have guys who can, you know, work your twist game effectively? And, you know, if you have both, then you're in a pretty good situation. Um, so for us, we use twist game quite effective or a lot because of the uh, – we don't know – they don't know where the twist may come from. Right. You know, just because we're we're 3-4, we're always going to have a zero. We could have two fives. We could have two fours. Um, so – I, to answer the question, I, I love twist game, and I think uh, I don't think I rely on it as much, but it is very useful and effective at the right times. Um, you know, when when you want it, because you don't want to just get twist twist game happy. You know, and just start twisting, just to twist. You know, it's kind of it goes down to down and distance and wet pass protection that we've been seeing 
all week or all game and then uh, just kind of go from there. You know, but I, I do love uh, working choice game. Um, th- out of the three man, it's a little different because you're always, you're either going to use um, your Mike linebacker or your Will linebacker, you know, so you're going to have to change your front up depending on who the uh, the fourth guy is going to be involved with their twist. Right, right. You know, so it's uh, very effective when, when, when used at the right time for sure. Yeah, and as you mentioned, that's one of the beauties of a 3-4 uh, defense is because who is that fourth rusher going to be? They don't know, and, and it's usually uh, that's usually a pretty safe thing to do to be able to add that fourth guy without uh, burning too many zones or giving up too much uh, in, in the passing game. So that's another uh, benefit of, of being in that type of front because you can bring uh, people from a lot of different places. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll say when we were in our four-man front, we uh, – we we twisted quite a bit, um, you know, just because based off the guys that we we had in our four man and the guys that we've recruited in the four man front, it's, uh, um, you always got your more athletic guys at defensive end. At least in our defense, we did our our athletic guys were uh, essentially will linebackers. Yeah, um, you know, in in our defense in, in previous years, um, which which made twist game a lot more uh, effective. And uh, those guys were the guys who were a little bit more slipperier, slipperier. Right. Make sense. Yep. That were uh, guys who, who, who got it done effectively, you know, and we have guys who can get it done effectively now, too. But I also like to match up with the with our two ends and our nose working watch me uh, with our nose, you know, letting our two our ends go, you know, two way go. Talk about what you mean by a, a a watch me right there. What what that what does that mean? Okay, watch me is uh, essentially, uh, and it has to be communicated. Um, you know, when when you talk about watch me, it's it's like if I'm a defensive end and I want my zero technique or my my sh- my shade to uh, essentially cover me because I feel like I have the two way go on this offensive tackle, and I could end up in the A gap, I could end up in the B gap, but you're not gonna watch that defensive end until his jersey flashes in front of your face that way you can keep a balance and an even even pass rush right um, with with that and you know it, that works effectively especially in, in in the three four um because a lot of times you know that knows in the pass rush he's i mean that's tough sledding you know yep. being a nose in, in the three four and in his pass you know that's it's it's tough sledding for him and to get through because uh, he's either going to get two guys or sometimes, you know, depending on the protection, I've seen, you know, two guards and a center on, on, on the zero, you know, just however it is. So his job is just to kind of hold the fort down, let the defensive end work. And then he's, as soon as he sees him flash in front of his face, he's going to cover him. He's going to watch, watch that defensive end, you know, so he's not uh, an aggressive rusher at the point of attack. Right, um, essentially off the ball. Right, and by what by when, when you say cover, he's going to cover the defensive end. You mean he's going to loop around and be the contained rusher now, correct? Absolutely, yes, sir. Yeah, and so then uh, that's a, that's a, a safe way to generate pressure and to bail that nose out, uh, and also take advantage of, like you said, uh, one of those defensive ends. If 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 they're doubling, you know, if the nose is is, is demanding a double team, that means one of the defensive ends is 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 
being single blocked unless they they have a back end to, to max protect. But uh, so you're able to take advantage of that without again running some uh, without getting linebackers involved in the stunts. And so that's also a great way to generate pressure with your three man front. And I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned sure. that uh, because that is a, that that's a, a definite another benefit of uh, of of rushing with those with those three man front guys. Yes, sir. So who are some uh, who are some current pass rushers, college or pro, who you enjoy watching? Oh man, uh, college the uh, Chase Young out of Ohio State. Yeah, that, that, that dude is unreal. He, uh, you know, obviously just love the way he plays. Uh, you know, with emotion um, and passion for the game. You know, obviously uh, the way he plays just so violently and so effective off the edge um, that that dude, I mean, essentially goes unblocked. Yeah. And if he does get blocked, he's unmatched. I mean, he's a really good pass rusher, really good pass rusher. I love watching that guy go. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how, how Ohio state, those guys just keep churning out pass rushers uh, year after year with obviously with the Bosa brothers and now, uh, and now him. I mean, it's just, uh, it really is amazing. Um, what coach Johnson is doing up there with, with those guys. Oh yeah. It's, it's unreal, man. I mean, awesome to watch. That's for sure. And, you know, I even show, I even show our guys, you know, uh, at, at any level, I think it's, I think it's good to show, uh, you know, another guy at your position, you know, um, whether it's high school or, or junior college, because the ultimate goal is to, you know, these guys want to be like them. Well, you get to watch them. And he really get to evaluate yourself too, you know. Right. Are, are you are you matching are you matching him or you know or whatever it is. One of my favorite things to watch is uh, JJ Watt. Um, you know they had hard knocks down there in in Houston a couple years ago. Yep. And just watching his little clip, uh, it's probably about six or seven minutes of him putting in extra work, him getting it in the weight room catching footballs as a defensive end, catching footballs after practice, you know, just everything that he did, you know, and his, his story um, is pretty remarkable, uh, really remarkable. And, you know, guys look up to him and guys want to be like him. And I think it's important to show him that, hey, he didn't just wake up and and uh, he's just the best pass rusher in the NFL. Yeah, you know, he, yep. That was a guy who was a walk-on at a Division three, a walk-on at Wisconsin, and NFL All Pro. Yeah, yeah, I actually know exactly what scene you're talking about because I remember watching uh, watching that that series there with the Texans, and uh, yeah, just his his tenacity. And you want to talk about a guy who who finishes a rush? I think he's oh, probably the oh, best yeah. in the business at doing that. Oh yeah, oh, he's he's definitely one to watch, man. You know, at all aspects of the game, for sure. Well, Coach Wiz, as we get ready to wrap this up, you know, we, uh, as we mentioned at the top of the uh, of our conversation, uh, you're our first JUCO coach uh, on on the podcast, and you know, JUCO football has gotten a lot of attention uh, over the last few years with you know with Netflix's Last Chance You. Uh, I guess good or bad attention. I guess you know that's up for for people to decide. But uh, in your experience, what are you know? This is coming from an actual guy who's not on a TV show or got got cameras in his face, you know, all the time. But in your experience, what are some of the biggest challenges that as a JUCO coach? Um, I think the 
the biggest challenge coach is uh we only have them for for a maximum of two years yeah that to me that's the biggest challenge and then in some cases i got a guy right now in some cases it's going to be a minimum of one semester you right. know that he could potentially get recruited out of here depending yeah. on his status coming in yeah you know and um so being able to know knowing that i only have them we only have them for this short amount of time that we have to develop and get them ready to make their next move right you know so i think that's a, that's a big challenge and obviously you know, like the guys i have in my room right now i would love to have them for four years right you know? um that's just how, how i think of those guys and you know love being around them and you know, that's a big challenge of trying to get them mentally and, and physically ready for the next level um, in that short amount of time because you don't know when it's going to be, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. But on the plus side is, you know, working with them and watching them grow and develop in that short amount of time and pursue their next step, you know, that's that's a pretty good sight to watch as well, you know. And we get to spend, you know, all the hours with them. You know, we're in study hall with them. We're in the cafeteria with them were uh, obviously in meetings, practice, weight room. You know, we, we, we get to spend all these hours with them, um, you know, and it's just us, you know, the coaching staff, um, you know, rather than a whole entire support staff where we don't where we don't get to spend, you know, more than 20 hours with them a week. Yeah. You know? Yep. So definitely has its pluses, too. You know, and I, I think the challenge isn't, isn't a negative thing. It's just uh, it happens so quick. Right. Uh, they're out of here before we uh, before we know their middle name. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't even think about, you know, I, I was just automatically thinking about guys being there for two years. But, you know, sometimes you get these guys who come in and they're 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 qualifiers. So they may just be there for the fall semester before they're 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 out of there. Uh, and yes, so sir. that can be really challenging to get. And those guys are usually probably pretty talented. So you get a guy like that who kind of is a shot in the arm for your defensive line room, and then he's gone just like that. So I can I could see where that would be definitely be a challenge as a coach. Absolutely, but you know at the end of the day, they're uh, they are here for a reason. Um, obviously, whatever that reason may be, you know, like the one guy I have, he's you know he'll be here for one semester. He's heating up, but he's. Uh, he's grown so much, and every every other guy I've had here has grown tremendously. Everybody who finishes the program the way they're f- supposed to finish the program, uh, you know, ends up being being a really good story uh, wherever they go. Yeah, you know? right. Well, these last two questions are, are some college football questions for you, and I guess you could answer these as a fan, just like the rest of us of college football. Uh, but we saw that um, this past weekend, uh, Florida State made the decision to uh, to buy out Willie Taggart's contract, and so now they are looking for their new head coach. Been a lot of speculation swirling this week about who that might be. So as the as the or at the time uh, of this recording, Florida State hadn't made a move yet. So uh, who should who should the Seminoles hire as their next head coach? Oh man, me, me and my head coach Thomas Rocker were just talking about this because I, I was kind of stumped, you know. And I think the the uh, I think what they'll do is probably go with the hot coach, um, you know, who's who, who's the hot coach, who's the young coach. Uh, you know, I know PJ Fleck just got a. Uh, I, I read that he, you know, signed another contract. Yeah. Um, but how I, I wouldn't count him out because obviously he's hot and he's at Minnesota and they're eight and up. Yeah. You know. 
Um, it's a lot harder to win a national championship in the Big Ten than it probably is in the ACC. Yeah. You know, so we can kind of put, put that into perspective. And the same goes for James Franklin. And those two teams play each other this weekend. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, those, those will be the two, possibly. I mean, I, I'm not really in the know of that. But uh, I would go with a hot hand or okay. a hot coach. And and uh, another one would probably be maybe uh, Cliff Kingsbury. Wow, yeah. Two, you know. All right, yeah, yeah that's a... NFL and come back down to the college level. Um, you know, obviously the young coach who's, you know, who's done well and he's got that reputation. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. There's some. Uh, there are a few viable options for sure. And, and, and like you mentioned, I'm, I'm sure that there will be a lot of Florida State boosters watching that game uh, this weekend between Minnesota and, and Penn State for sure. So uh, one guy that you didn't mention as, as someone you think might be in the, in the running for that Florida State job is Urban Meyer. Uh, so my question, my last question for you concerning him is really simple. Will, he, uh, will Urban Meyer coach in 2020? Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say no, coach. I'm going to say no. Really? You know, it's it's kind of hard to, I mean, he's, he's done it before where he's gone out and then back in, but I uh, just, I'm going to say no. Okay. He okay. Probably will not be. Okay. So no, he's not going to jump from the broadcast booth to, to USC or anything like that in your opinion? No, not in my opinion. No, okay. sir. All right. I don't think so. Okay. Well, those are some, uh, some definitely some some solid takes and and we'll see uh we'll see what happens that'll be something that we're all paying attention to as as this uh football season unfolds and 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 as we get into the off season so uh coach Wiz thanks so much for uh for coming on and talking with us today and, and really enjoyed talking some pass rush with you with you and and just want to wish you uh the best of luck especially as y'all uh, head into the off season oh yes sir thank you very much for having me on I really appreciate it um, I, I think what you're doing, Coach, is a, is a great thing, man. It's, it's, it's really awesome. I had a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Yes, sir, Coach Wiz. Thank you. We're usually playing in neutral sites, so sometimes you get to play in some really cool stadiums or some really unique venues that you don't get to play in very often. Um, you know, travel is, is another component that, that can be tricky. Uh, so all of those things uh, c- can really make the playoffs uh, uh, interesting and, 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 and difficult. Uh, so when you have a team who is able to withstand all of those elements and, and survive and be left standing at the end of the postseason, that's really something to be, uh, to be proud of. So anyway, uh, today's, today's story comes from actually not that long ago, uh, actually last season. Since we are uh, in the first round of the playoffs here in Texas, I thought I'd tell a story that I have from from uh, my coaching experience in the first round of the playoffs. So this happened last season in 2018. I was coaching at Kerrville Tyvee, where I had coached for where I coached for six seasons, and we were playing in a first round playoff game at home uh, versus the Bastrop Bears. Uh, and so we were uh, the number one seed from our district. So we were playing the number four seed from Bastrop's di- district, and they were the number four seed. So we were playing them. And and I remember leading up to to that game, we knew that that Bastrop was was talented and that they had the potential to hurt us. So it wasn't like we were just completely overlooking them or, or didn't expect them to, uh, you know, give us uh, some some issues. But we did expect to win the game. 
Well, anyway, from the get-go, the game did not go as we had planned. We had turnovers. We really just played a, a bad first half of football. And we go into halftime down 28-14. to 14. Uh, and I, I remember really not panicking much, you know, because a, a lot of fluky things had happened, and we just kind of felt like if we could calm down and, and sort of regroup a little bit at halftime that we could come back and be successful, and it wouldn't be that big of a deal. So uh, in the second half, I, I believe we got a uh, an interception, and maybe it was even a pick six. I'd have to go back and look. But, you know, we, we got some momentum going, but then it seemed like anytime we got any momentum going, then, then Bastrop would respond with a score of their own. And uh, so anyway, with nine minutes, I, th- I went back and looked. I think it was with nine and a half minutes left in the game. We're down by three touchdowns. And, and, and I just remember at that moment, man, I remember looking back at my guys behind me, and, and it, was, it was tough. I mean, there were some tears starting to come out uh, from those guys on the sideline. I mean, it just really looked like our season was over. And up to that point, we lost one game. Our very first game of the year, we lost by 10 points. And, and since, since that point, we had pretty much rolled through, rolled through our schedule. And so we were in shock. Um, but to our kids' credit and to our coaches' credit, we kept on battling, kept on fighting. And so our offense goes down and scores, and, and scores to, uh, to bring us within 14 points. Uh, and so then we go out and, and we, we had a three and out. And our offense gets the ball back and goes and scores again. So now, all of a sudden, we're down by a touchdown. So uh, anyway, we end up tying the game uh, as, as time was running out. Like I don't remember exactly how much time was left, but we had very little time left. We tie the game. So actually, they get the ball back, Bastrop does. And uh, it looked like they were just going to kind of run the clock out to, and go to overtime. Well, anyway, uh, that's what they're doing. They run the ball, and I don't remember. I think it was maybe a zone or something. But their they're running back, who had been really giving us problems all night, uh, knives through, and he he. he breaks one and it looks like he's going to go score and really just score a walk-off touchdown to win the game and and uh, uh, send us home but our corner uh, Damian Hernandez shout out Damian uh, Damian Hernandez just hawks this kid down and, and tackles him um, somewhere in the red zone I don't really remember uh, and I actually think that they I can't remember I think they did try a field goal at that point or maybe they didn't but anyway so with Damian making that touchdown-saving play, it sent us into overtime uh, where uh, we both scored. Both teams scored in overtime. Both kicked, kicked extra points. So we're going to the second overtime. Uh, we had the ball first, and we go and we score. And so then they get the ball. They go and they score uh, a few plays later, and now it's decision time for them. And they decided that instead of trying to go uh, to play for the third overtime, that they were going to go for, for two and try to win the game at that moment. So uh, they line up, and they run a play. I don't remember exactly what the play was. It was running playoff tackle off to, to their right, our left. And, and our Sam linebacker, Caden Villarreal, uh, comes up and, and, and makes a tackle on the running back and tackles them on the one-yard line. And we win the game. And, and that was just a, a huge moment for our program and definitely something that was unexpected for us. Not that we were thinking we'd walk through that game, but, but definitely didn't expect it to be as tough as it was. But, um, you know, they have a saying down there in Kerrville, uh, or their, their mantra is, Tybee fight never dies. And I'm telling you, if you've, if you've never experienced that or been around that, I'm telling you, it's legit. It's real. Uh, I lived it for six years. And, and, 
and definitely saw it personified that night. So uh, anyway, it was a huge win for us. We ended up uh, playing two more rounds. We got beat in the third round uh, last season, but was just really, really proud of our kids uh, for the way that they fought and just never gave up and stayed in there when it definitely looked like uh, that, that we were that we were that we were out. So uh, that's my story from for, for this week, uh, first round of the playoffs. Hopefully, uh, coaches, if you are uh, if you are the top dog, man, don't don't overlook any opponent. And if you are the underdog this week, anything can happen in the playoffs. So uh, get your game plan together and, and and go go get after it. And just remember how how fortunate and blessed you are to be in a position where you are to to play in the postseason. So uh, that's my story this week. I'll have another one next week. Anyway. Our quote of the day is this, once you learn to quit, it becomes a habit. And that's from Coach Vince Lombardi. And that'll do it for us today. Again, big thanks to Coach Where's Bicky from Tyler Junior College for talking to us today. Finally, I want to make sure and wish all of our veterans a happy Veterans Day and thank you so much for your service to our country. I want to especially say thank you to my favorite veteran, my granddad, Brigadier General Robert Taylor. He actually came on as a guest on this podcast this past summer, and and well, I know I had a I had a lot of fun. I don't know if he had a whole lot of fun doing it, but it was definitely our most unique episode, and, and certainly my most favorite episode that we've done so far. Uh, but anyway, uh, happy Veterans Day, Granddad, and happy Veterans Day to all of our veterans. Thank you so much for defending our freedom. Coaches, once again, have a great week. Congratulations to all those programs preparing for the playoffs this week. If you're not in the playoffs, Keep your chin up, keep grinding, and keep tuning in to KYPD. And most importantly, always remember, keep your pads down.